five years. It is something that's easy to take for granted. We are in a city that is filled with really big, really long tenured churches. And so you look around and you're like, well, of course, the church is just supposed to be here. Churches just survive. Churches just continue to grow. And then you try to start one and you realize that a lot of things have to come together for a church to exist. And five years ago, I got to stand right here I've been weepy all morning, so this might go a little long. (laughs) I got to stand right here and said, if you weren't certain, if God was still active in the world, just take a look around. And it's still true. It's still true. A church is just not a building. We say this every week as we end our service. It's not a building, but it's a group of people that come together. And the fact that For five years, a group of people have come together to share their struggles, to share their joys, to learn how to live life together, and to live it in the example of Jesus is just a remarkable thing. And so let us not take it for granted that we're here after five years. So the church is not something that a group of people come together and lead, and then everybody else just follows. This is is an all-skate This is a group participation, and this is here today because we have done this together. And so how about we give each other just a little bit of celebration and acknowledgement. As I was preparing for this morning, and as we have been working through this sermon series that we're in, kind of talking about the wisdom of trees I found, came across like the perfect metaphor for who I think the Grove is called to be and what I think the Grove is called to do in the world. In uh, central Utah, there is an Aspen Grove. And kind of on first blush, this Aspen Grove is a fairly large grove of Aspen. Covers like 106 acres. 47,000 members of Aspen are a part of this Aspen Grove. But if you look closer, what looks like just a group of individual trees is actually the largest organism on the planet, and it's called Pando. Pando is one group, one tree made up of 47,000 members. All of the trees, independent of their size and their age, their trunk shape, how many leaves or branches they have, is all genetically identical and part of the same root system. It's the largest organism on the planet. It covers 80 football fields, 47,000 trunks, all a part of one tree. And I thought, gosh, if there was a metaphor and a picture for what we're called to be as a church, it would be this. It would be this incredible organism with all of its different expressions and ages and life stages, but all connected at its roots to the very same thing. And in fact, this is kind of the picture that the Apostle Paul describes when he is talking about the church, when he is trying to teach other 
little struggling, growing churches what it means to come together and to live their life together. He uses a different metaphor. He uses this metaphor of a body. This is what he says in his letter to the church at Rome. He says, just as we have many parts in one body, he's kind of holding up this thing. He says, look, just look at your own body. You've got ears and fingers and toes and knees and elbows, all these different parts. But they're all a part of the same whole. They're all one body. Just as we all have parts in one body, but all the parts don't, all, they don't have the same function. He says, as we who are many are one body in Christ and individually, this is my favorite line, we belong to each other. We're like Pando, this giant forest. And I think it's easy to forget the fact that instead of many trees in one forest, we're called to be a one tree forest composed of many, many members. I think what's hard for us today to live into this reality is to trust the line that we belong to each other. And the reason is because for the last 50, 60 years, I don't really know when you'd want to start the clock, there have been cultural forces at work trying to disunify and divide our culture and our society. Forces that cause us to be further fragmented from each other, to cause us to look at each other not as equals, but as enemies. Forces in our world and society that have caused us to become more individualistic, more fragmented, more skeptical of commitment to a larger cause. Social scientists have noticed this marked change in kind of the fabric of society. And what they notice is that over the last 40 to 50 years, rates of depression have increased 10x. Feelings of isolation have doubled. And over half of Americans polled today talk about feeling totally alone. And so my question is, how can we live in such a crowded world? And yet many of us, statistically at least half of us, would report feeling alone and unknown. I think it's because we have missed what it means to be a part of something greater than ourselves. We have missed what it means to commit to a larger whole, to be a member of a one tree forest as opposed to many trees in one forest. We have grown apart instead of together. And you look at some of the writing and some of the kind of the research that is being done by social scientists, and they have started to identify some of the causes that have happened in our culture and society that have contributed to this place of kind of individualistic separation and fragmentation. There's one particular author, Todd Hall. He says this. He's just kind of describing these cultural forces that come together to make up the American ideal, kind of the picture of the good life. And as you, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there are all sorts of different versions of what the good life looks like. Kind of the popular American one is place value on independence over friendship, personal comfort over commitment to others, solitary achievement over the common good, and economic success over social and emotional well-being. What we recognize is that we live in this individualistic society that leaves us feeling separate from each other, isolated, 
We've been sold a bill of goods. The life that we're encouraged to live doesn't lead to flourishing. And so this morning, as I think about who we're called to be as a church, I have to respond to this question and this assessment of our current culture. What should be the Christian response to this? What is the Christian message in the face of all of this division and all of this isolation and all of this loneliness? I think the hard part is when we look around and we see that everyone else is participating in this same story, we start to doubt our own desires to swim upstream, to break against the trends that we see our friends and our neighbors and our community members participating in. It leaves us kind of feeling like, well, maybe I'm the crazy one to not participate in this way. And so my hope this morning is just to remind us for a moment what the Christian response should be. Because the Christian response to isolation and individuality is not to try harder, but to recommit. Recommit to doing this together. Recommit to connection. You see, this whole series is about identifying what trees can teach us about how to live a flourishing life. And I think from Panda, what we can learn today is that a flourishing life is a connected life. And I think that what the social science over the last 50 years proves to us is that without connection, life actually doesn't flourish. We're unwell mentally and physically and spiritually because of all of the ways that we're disconnected from each other. Now, as social scientists have done more research and work on kind of what constitutes the fabric of a community. What they have recognized is that there are certain components that are necessary for a sense of connectedness, for a sense of belonging, for a sense of cohesion. So you can apply this to a family, you can apply this to a team or a club, to a group of friends, to your place of business, to a church, or to a society at large. But it's composed of kind of three shared commitments. Shared identity, shared experience, and shared purpose. And see, I think what happens though, when we fail to get this right as a church, when we lose sight of a shared identity, a shared experience, and a shared purpose, we have, I think, what is kind of common practice in kind of the Christian space. You see, what happens when you start to perceive in our own lives, when we start to perceive our relationships experiencing disconnection. Kind of what most of us do is we step away or we move on. We kind of go about this quiet quitting that's now kind of this trend in our workspaces. We do everything but lean in and recommit, whether that's in your romantic relationships or your friendships. When you start to perceive disconnection, you just lean further away because it feels scary and unsafe to move in closer. We do the exact opposite of the things that bind us together. And so in the church space, here's what I notice. When people don't really feel like they're a part of something or they're on the fringes of something, what ends up happening is if they don't feel a sense of relational connection and or spiritual connection in the church, the first thing that they do 
is they're like, oh, this must not be the right church. Let me go find the right church. It's kind of the same myth that happens when people are looking for the right person. When the person that they're with doesn't give them all of the feelings that they expected the person, the right person to give them, they go search for the new right person. The same thing happens in the church space as well. In our religious organizations, when we don't feel like all of our needs are being met, we go look for a different place to go meet our needs. Well, in our own personal relationships, we know that's not what it's about. It's about shared commitment to each other. Your needs aren't always going to be met. One month into marriage, and let me tell you, <laughs> like, it's just, it, that's, that's not what happens. Like, you're like, oh, well, this is different than the movies. <laughs> it doesn't go the way that you maybe think it goes, especially if you listen to Taylor Swift. This is not how it's supposed to happen. You're like, wait a minute. How come sometimes in the midst of a brand new ma- why do I feel lonely? Why do I feel al- because those are normal human emotions. There's no version of this where all of your needs are always met all of the time. Same is true in the church space. This church doesn't meet all of my needs. You're right. And so instead, we go looking for a better church, a different church, a church that meets more of my needs instead of digging in and recommitting. Nothing that we do is we just kind of hang out on the periphery. We pop in and we pop out. Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to the Grove. Oh, yeah, like every three months. You know, you're like, you're just, you're, you're committed in name, but not in practice. And this, you know, this is kind of like preaching to the choir this morning, because you're, you're like, guys, I'm here. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> but I want to just name the dynamics that happen, because on the other side of that is a greater opportunity. We stay on the periphery because it, it's safe. We don't want to commit, because that means that something's required of us. We just want to come and hopefully get our needs met. And so we stay on the periphery because then if our needs aren't met, then we can go and find a different place that meets all of our needs. And then the last thing that often happens in the church space when we sense this disconnection relationally and spiritually is we say, "Mm, I'm just going to go do it myself. This happens in our personal relationships and in church. We, we practice a version of solo Christianity. This is influenced by kind of our hyper-individualistic society that we live in. It's like, I'll just have my own practice, my own walk with God that's not a part of a larger faith community. When you do this, you miss the power of together. When you do this, you miss the opportunity to feel connected to a larger whole. There are those of you here this morning who this describes kind of your life with churches thus far. And you're like, maybe church isn't just, maybe it's just not for me. Or maybe I haven't found the right church. Or maybe church isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And then there are others of you who are here where you've gotten your hands dirty. And you have cried with people. And you have showed up to hospital rooms. And you have shared secrets. And you have carried trusts and vulnerabilities of other people. You have stayed up praying for people during medical emergencies. You have wept when people have lost loved ones. You have celebrated when people have had seasons of change and joy in their life. And you have dug in and you have shown up early and you have stayed late and you have given and sacrificed. And what you know to be true is what's true about society in general. When we commit 
we receive. When we give, we are blessed in the exchange. This is what I think the Grove is called to be over the next five years and beyond. It's not just a place where people show up, hopefully get their needs met, and then go about their daily lives. But what if this was a place where we recommitted to a shared identity, a recognition of who we're called to be in Christ? This is why at the end of our service, today and every Sunday for the last five years, we've said the church is not a building, the church is not a worship service, but it is us living our faith out in the world. And then we say the same benediction every single Sunday. Why? To remind us of our shared identity, of who we're called to be. This is not a solo sport and an individual effort. This is something that we all come together to do because we are many members of one tree. The others shared experience. This is why we stand up here and it seems like for too long we talk about next steps. Ways that you can get involved at the church. Ways that you can go from a large group into a smaller group so that you can meet people. So that your lives will overlap and bump into and get messy with other people's lives here at the church. There's something that happens in the shared experience that changes us. This was the power of the early Christian church. It reached its hands into the places that were hurting and messy and scared and vulnerable. It touched people's lives at the very most human places. And it allowed people to connect and to belong and to feel known and needed in a world that was not as individualistic as ours, but as isolated as ours and as fractured as ours was. And this is the opportunity that we have if you have been bouncing around on the fringes and you're like, I can't get any traction here, perhaps it's because you haven't yet committed to a shared experience, to moving in deeper. And then the last is, what does it look like when we commit to a shared purpose? Many of you have participated in our Serve Sundays, ways that we leave this building. The church leaves and goes and serves contributes to the greater good of the world to bring joy into light and life and help and hope into places that are in need. When we get out of ourselves and past ourselves and recommit to a shared purpose, we are reminded of what happens when we come together. I mean, so many stories that y'all have shared with me about how meaningful it was for your family or you and your child, or you and your sibling or friend to come and to serve and to participate, whether it was Serve Sunday or one of the other ways that we're committed to helping others. You recognize, like, gosh, it is such a nice reminder, a kind of perspective change to stop thinking about my own stuff and my own needs and my own family and all of this busyness that we have going on and to remember that there's a bigger world and hurting people out there and we're called to do something about it. May we continue to be that kind of church. You see, these components of social connectivity, a shared identity, experience, and purpose, while social scientists have newly discovered it, this is not new information. 
writing to a different church, the Apostle Paul shares these words that point out the very same thing. And so let me leave you with his words. Let us hold tightly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The song we just sang is a reminder that we are a people of a faithful God. Our hope is not in our own abilities, our own understanding, our own efforts, but the one who is promised. This is our identity. We are, a, we are people who follow a faithful God. Let us also think of ways to inspire one another toward acts of love and good deeds. It is essential that we recommit to a shared purpose. Acts of love and good deeds that we join together to serve the world and to serve our community, to serve each other. And then lastly, and let us not neglect meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, especially now. This is a commitment to shared experience, to showing up, to getting your hands dirty, to allowing people to come into your life and choosing to commit to coming into theirs, to being vulnerable and authentic about the ways that we need each other. I don't know if this is going to happen in our country. I don't know if we can get there. I don't know if this is going to happen in our city. Because we don't have a lot of control over those things. But I know it can happen here. I know that it can happen here. What would it look like if we recommitted to living a connected life? Recommitted to make this place a place where all of our lives intersected where we grew alongside one another, where we shared each other's struggles, where we lifted each other up and shared resources when the other was in need, and then we asked for the same in return when we were honest about the ways that we were in need. At one point in time, the church stood as a countercultural force in the world, saying, we're not gonna buy into the story that you're selling of the ways that greater individuality and greater materiality lead to happiness and success and human flourishing. We're not going to live that way. We're going to do it differently. We're going to join together. We're going to depend on one another. We're going to love each other well. My prayer is that we would be that same countercultural force in the world today, that independent of what the people on your streets were doing, independent of what your social circles were doing, that we would make choices and gather in this place in ways that would allow us to live a flourishing life connected together. Let me pray that that be true today. Gracious God, it is on the occasion of our fifth birthday that we first stop to give you thanks for all of that you have done for us for all of the ways that you have been working ahead of us, providing for us and leading us into the future. God, we ask that you challenge us to recommit ourselves to a connected life together, that we could become a one tree forest, committed to you, committed to each other and committed 
to serving others. We pray this in your name. Amen.